Good morning, Life Church Livonia, and welcome. If this is your first time and we have yet to meet, my name is Alex and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Life Church Livonia. I also want you to know it is not an accident you were joining us here today. We believe that God has brought you here on purpose for a purpose. And thank you for joining us here in our last week of our series on mental health that we have called With All My Mind. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God, our, our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it to love our neighbor as ourself. But how do we love God with all of our mind when we're struggling with mental health issues? Mental health issues have simply skyrocketed over the last 10 years. Much of that was exacerbated by COVID. Maybe for you, you had a mental health issue pre-COVID and COVID made it worse. Maybe you started during COVID. Whatever the case it is just uh, so ubiquitous in our culture right now, which as Christians presents us a challenge. It forces us to answer the question, how do we meet God in our mental health struggles? How do we meet him as Christians so that we might both receive his love and love him back with all of our mind? Throughout this series, we've already talked about anxiety, we talked about depression, we talked about ADHD, and today we are closing this series and this conversation uh, by talking about how to cope with mental health issues and stress as a Christian. Like I've said in previous weeks, I just want to preface this sermon by saying we're going to hit actually four different topics today, and they are all massive in their own right, could all be each of their own sermons. Our goal is not to talk about them exhaustively, but it is to connect these struggles to God's word. It's to connect to each other, and it's to connect you to some helpful resources that we think are really important, both in your spiritual journey and your mental health journey. So we've linked a lot of things in our digital bulletin. Some of them we couldn't include, some of them we have included and are going to reference, and I just want to encourage you to check that out. Now, if you've been following us throughout this series, you'll know that I've co-taught every week with a different mental health professional from our church. My hope in this last week was to do a panel with Amber and Derek and Rick and myself. And unfortunately, Amber and Derek couldn't make it due to scheduling conflicts, but I'm still really thrilled to be joined again by Rick today. Now, like I said, today's a little bit different than previous weeks. In previous weeks, we talked about a specific mental health issue, but today we're talking about coping as Christians, specifically coping with the stresses of life. Now, when we say coping, we simply mean that coping is a skill or method used to deal with a life stressor. Now, when I think of the word stress, I often think of like a stressful day at work or an upcoming exam or a difficult conversation. But Rick, as we were talking about this sermon, you gave a more clinical definition that was a little more encompassing than my understanding of it. And I wondered if you could share that with us. Well, I think the most important thing is what you're sharing is 100% true. Those are forms of stress. But there's major things that we go through in life that we don't always think about as forms of stress, mm. right? So some of them are simple, like at a stressful day at work or the kids at home were stressful. But what about like a significant loss? We don't mm. often think about grief as a form of stress, For but sure. that's a major stress, including all the other types of losses that we can experience, a financial loss or mm. a relationship loss or maybe even a major diagnosis or an illness, yeah. right? And we also just know like we're coming out of this crazy season of stress that we've been experiencing that has tremendously um, put a lot of pressure on us because when we're talking about stress, that's what we're talking about is an intense amount of pressure, yeah. right? So the severity of the stressor is going to determine how much pressure yeah. that stress is putting on us and our emotional health and our mental health. So what are some factors to consider when we're talking about the idea of stress? So I think it's really important to recognize like, when we're talking about stress, even though this is just one specific word, there's varying levels of intensity 
mm. to that stressor, right? Sure, so, right. so they all don't weigh out equal, and the, yeah. and and that's really important to recognize. Also, have to recognize acute stress, which is like an intense, short-term stress that we feel is going to be very different from long-term chronic stress that yeah. we're carrying with us in our bodies that we've right. developed over a period of time. Uh, and then the last thing I think is just recognizing sometimes the, the coping with physical stress or physical pain is going to be very different from mm. emotional stress or emotional pain. So there's right. a lot of factors that we have to connect with when we're just talking about one simple word, which is stress. Yeah. How to cope with it. I think that's super helpful. I think that's super helpful. And we're going to talk more about coping skills and how we would classify them as positive or negative in a minute. <clears throat> but here at Life Church Livonia, we like to say that we are real people who are following a real God and experiencing and living real life and life to the full. And we just kind of walk through life together as a community because life is hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And all of us have coping strategies that we use to navigate life's pressures and stressors. Some of those lead us closer to God. Others lead us further away. The stresses of life are inevitable, but our coping strategies are things we get to choose. I think of John, whose marriage has been rocky for the last five months. He and his wife have just grown further and further apart. John's been sleeping on the couch for two months, and John has been using pornography as a coping mechanism to relieve the stress of it all and just escape for a few hours. John is using porn to cope. I think of Sue who's struggling to get her master's degree. She's working full time. Life has just been go, 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 go. And it's been that way for months. She can't remember the last time she got to really relax. Sue doesn't see a break coming up. So she started ending the evening with a couple of drinks and a joint just to try to relieve the stress. She's using substances to cope. I think of Tommy. Tommy was on the track team in high school and he was really good at it. But his home life was a wreck. His parents would just blow up into these screaming matches. And so Tommy would go for a run to get out of the house. Now he's older and he's engaged. But every time he and his fiance begin to have tension or conflict, Tommy wants to run and he wants to escape it. And Tommy disengages. He uses exercise to cope. I think of Deb. Uh, Deb has struggled with anxiety her whole life. Her mom struggled with it. Her mom's dad struggled with it. And she would get in these thinking traps that would stick with her for days as she replayed conversations in her head over and over again. But last year, uh, Deb has learned the power of journaling prayer. When Deb starts to get overwhelmed now, she makes space in her day to pause and to pray and to journal, expressing and lifting her feelings to God, allowing him to redirect her thoughts. Deb is using prayer to cope. Maybe your story is like one of theirs. Maybe it's different. But the thing we all have in common is that life is hard and that all of us have to choose how we are going to deal with its pressures. Are we going to allow these pressures to make us more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Whatever methods we use or default to, we all cope. Now, in previous weeks, we've taken a look at a scriptural narrative that's really kind of defined our time. Today, we're not going to do that. Like I said, I kind of have a burden that there's these four interconnected topics that I just felt like, man, we got to talk about some of these things before we end a series on mental health. And so, again, we recognize each of these could be their own sermon, but I felt it was better to address them and offer some tools and resources, even if we can only address them in part. And those four are we're going to be talking about coping with stress. We're going to be talking about a biblical perspective on medication. We're going to be talking about addiction and dependency, coping with pain. And finally, we're going to talk about a rule of life as self-care. So Rick, would you share with us a little bit more about coping with stress? 
Yeah, so in therapy of the world, there's there's a term for what happens when just life pushes us beyond what we can cope with or what we can handle. And it's called uh, an adjustment disorder. This is a clinical diagnosis. Uh, here's a real simple definition. It's excessive reactions to stress that involve negative thoughts, strong emotions, and changes in behavior. And these are just the reactions that we have to a really stressful life event that is much more than we feel like that we can handle. Mm. So in, in 2022, there's a list of like the most diagnosed conditions or mm. mental health disorders. So number one for that year was actually general anxiety disorder. Mm. And that's something that we talked about in week one. Yeah, yeah. What's really fascinating though is the number two most diagnosed condition of that year was an adjustment disorder with missed anxiety and depressive mood. Mm. But something else as you dig deeper into like these studies is like of the top 10 things that were diagnosed in 2022, four of the top 10 disorders were actually adjustment disorders. Wow. What this says is that we have a stress problem, mm. a major stress problem, that we are experiencing stress beyond what we know how to cope with. Before we talk about like how to cope with stress or how to navigate those things, I, I want to give like a basic breakdown of like what is happening in our body yeah. when we're experiencing stress. Now, there are people who can explain the biology of this far greater than I am. I am not a scientist, nor do I ever want to be. <laughs> Sorry if you are a scientist. I can probably use your help in this section, right? But I want to talk about like uh, a simplified version of like the stress cycle. So the when there's something happening, the first thing that happens is the alarm goes off. Okay. Something happens that triggers our brain to say there is a threat to us yeah right so then the next part is the arousal or the energy response that we have our brain begins to release like these stress hormones right. like cortisol and and adrenaline to yeah. help our body begin to respond to that stress and it's going to create what what people normally think of as like a fight or flight stress response yeah right after that um, the exhaustion start to take place because that energy it creates is supposed to help us with either running towards the threat or running to safety away from the threat. So then the body begins to exhaust itself and deplete itself of those stress hormones. And then we go into the fourth piece, which is just the rest. Our mm. body is exhausted and now our body is supposed to recover. So here's the problem though, because the way our biology is wired it worked great for us back in like prehistoric times, right? <laughs> Here's how this worked, right? So I'm walking around, I'm trying to find food, and all of a sudden I walk into a cave and there is a massive saber-toothed tiger there. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do, right? So my brain alerts that there's an alarm. It triggers a biological response in my body that arouses me to either fight the tiger, which I'm not prepared to do. I don't want to see if I would a... win. I'm going to go with a 99.999% chance that that's not going to go well. <laughs> so it's going to trigger my flight response, which is I got to get the heck out of here and yeah. get to safety, right? Then running and getting away is going to be very exhausting. Yeah. So it's going to deplete my body of that energy. And now I am resting because my body needs to recover from that very major stress. Mm. But here's the problem. We do this instead because we aren't dealing with the same type of threats that we were dealing with. Right. So right now we experience some type of major stressor. Let's just use the simple one like work was hard. Yeah. We know where there's a lot of painful stress out there, but for simplicity's sake, we'll look at that. We come home, our body responds to that stress by elevating our, our hormones, but instead of like exhausting them, we go on our phone. Yeah. We watch TV. Yep. And this is where it doubles down because then we start to input more stress. The TV, the news is on, and we hear about these horrible life events. Right. On our phone, we're scrolling through social media and we're comparing ourselves to the lives of other people. And that's creating stress because we don't feel good enough about ourselves. 
So then we don't like that. So then we try to fall asleep, but our body is continuing to pump out these stress hormones right. and we can't sleep. So we're fully anxious and now I can't fall back asleep. And so I lose sleep. I now wake up the next morning and I'm still not refreshed. Right. And now I have to face the next day's worth of challenges and stressors, but I've never replenished or even brought healing to my body from the previous day's stressors. Right. And that continues over and over and over again. And it leads to compounded stress or long-term it can lead to chronic stress. And it does damage to our bodies, it does damage to our emotions, and we don't know how to handle that, and we never actually release it from us. So it's really important to recognize as Christians how we cope with this and how we respond to this is vital. We have to learn how to release the stress from our bodies yeah. before it does more harm to us. And normally here, this is where we say, here's a list of positive coping skills and here's a list of negative coping skills. Yeah. And we started to prepare the message that we way, did. right? We and did. And we called time out. We said, wait a second. I think it's actually more important to go like, what actually determines if something is a positive coping skill for us or a negative coping skill? Because there's a lot of nuance and there's some things that are universally agreed upon as positive, but there's some instances where we misuse those and they don't treat the real problem. So right. here's four things that I think are really important to look at. From a spiritual perspective, is this method of coping a sin? Yeah. That's really important. Is this creating separation or hurting my relationship with God or with other people? Yeah. The second one is this. Is it creating other pain? You know, smoking, for instance. Smoking is a very common way that people reduce stress, right? It gives us a little bit of a buzz to take yeah. the edge off of the stress that we're feeling, right? But the problem is it creates other physical health problems in our, in our bodies that create long-term more stress than the short-term stress that it's revealing. So in that case, it's actually creating more pain and more stress for yeah, us. Yeah. The third one is how well is it doing its job of reducing pain or reducing stress? Because avoiding stress is very different from releasing stress or reducing stress. Mm. And reducing the short-term or acute stress in our body is very different than a dealing with or bringing healing to our bodies from chronic stress or compound stress. And then the last thing is this. Is it actually meeting the real need? Mm. This is where the positive coping skills thing is tricky because positive coping skills like exercise, normally very good and yeah. very healthy and it releases that energy, <clears> might <throat> actually sometimes be a source of distraction from like or avoiding the real problem. Maybe right. it's conflict or maybe it's something else that we need to address in order to reduce the actual source of stress. Right. But we're using exercise as an avoidance. So I think how we respond to stress is really important aspect of like the discipleship process of even becoming more like Christ. And there's a scripture that came to my mind when I was thinking about this. It's Psalms 139, 23 and 24. And it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Mm -hmm. So again, if we come back to this idea of thinking about stress as being squeezed or being pressured, how we respond to that stress is revealed when we're squeezed or when we're pressured. And that's a way that we can begin to invite God into that process and experience true rest and true healing. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with that, Rick. And there's a lot of that information that's linked in the digital bulletin for you so that you can reference back to that. And friends, I just want to emphasize this scripture. We are not navigating and coping with life alone. As you're trying to figure out what are positive and negative coping mechanisms in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, his Holy Spirit is inside of you and wants to lead you in the path of everlasting life. So you're not alone here on earth with this church community, and you're not alone spiritually speaking with God's very spirit. Now, a common form of coping 
that's designed to lead us ultimately to healing, like all coping is. We can get stuck in coping cycles, but ultimately it's meant to lead us to healing. One form of that is prescribed medication. Mm -hmm. And especially when it's for mental health, a common question I've received as a pastor is, should I take medication as a Christian? I've actually been surprised at how often this question has been asked of me. And really in Christendom, I've seen two camps primarily in the church in America. Camp one has a ton of faith in medicine, be it for physical ailments or mental health issues. When they pray, they don't pray for a miracle. They pray that God would guide the surgeon's hands, that he would lead the doctor's mind, that he would create the right balance of medications and prescriptions. And they believe that God will work through medicine and medical professionals if he's going to intervene at all. Camp number two feels that it's a lack of faith and God to take medicine or trust in procedures or therapies. They feel that somehow it's at odds with God's healing power, that God is my doctor in the sick room, that he's my lawyer in the courtroom. I don't need medication. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that both these camps from a biblical perspective are simply incomplete. The Apostle Paul is famous in the pages of scripture for his preaching, for his teaching, but also for his healings. The Bible doesn't give numbers, but I think you could make a strong case that Paul may have healed more people than even Jesus, simply because his ministry was longer. These healings range from curing people of simple sicknesses to even raising the dead. If anyone knew the power of prayer, it was the Apostle Paul. Over the years, Paul takes a disciple he calls a spiritual son named Timothy. And in one of Paul's letters to Timothy, we see Paul write this. He says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So Timothy has this frequent illness, what we might, we might call it a chronic illness. And Paul knows the power of prayer. Paul's healed many people. And it would not be off base to assume that Paul has likely prayed for Timothy mm -hmm. about this stomach issue. However, Paul doesn't tell Timothy, keep praying, Timmy boy, don't stop until you get that <laughs> healing. He doesn't do that. He tells him, stop drinking only water and use a little wine. Wine, like many modern day medications, has helpful qualities, but can also be highly addictive. Paul isn't advocating drunkenness. He's not advocating addiction. He's saying only to use a little, but he is advocating a kind of medication. In those days, the places people got water were often the same places they went to the bathroom or bathed. That's not always the case, but their water was not cleaned by today's standards nasty. at all. So the alcohol and the wine would have helped kill whatever things were irritating Tim's stomach in, in that water. And that's, again, a form of medication. However, Paul doesn't tell Timothy just to take the medication. He says earlier in the same letter to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I don't even need to continue the rest of the verse, right? That he's clearly an advocate for prayer in all things for all people. And that certainly includes sickness. So from a biblical perspective, I don't think we have to limit God's power to simply guiding the surgeon's hands or finding the right balance of medications. But I also think we don't need to count those out either. The Bible takes a both and not an either or approach to healing, be it physical or mental. So in summary, medication mm -hmm. is a helpful tool, a resource, a stabilizer, and it's to be used in conjunction with other treatments, i.e. physical therapy or counseling. Medication is not a sin, a judgment on our character, being meaning we can't cope or we're weak or something. It's not the only method of help, and it's not the only way that God can heal us. Mm -hmm. 
So is it wrong to take medication biblically? I don't think so. However, when we think about medications for mental health issues like maybe Adderall or Xanax or Ritalin, etc., these medications are not wrong, but they are to be handled with care because coping, be it through medication or something else, mm -hmm. can easily lead to abuse, addiction, or dependency. I've talked to many folks, even here at church, who were prescribed a medication and one way or another found themselves stuck in an addiction they didn't want but also don't know how to operate without. <clears throat> so our third question today is, what do I do when my method of coping turns into an addiction or dependency. Yeah. Now, just a quick caveat. When we say addiction, we're not exclusively talking about medications or mm -hmm. drugs or drinking. Many things can become addictive. Many things can be abused. We can develop dependencies on lots of things, even things that are usually positive, like food or exercise. So Rick, can you share some of your thoughts and insight into this? Yeah, there's, there's several factors that can lead to dependency or addiction. There's biological factors like family predisposition. Yep, yep. Uh, there's personality traits. You know, we, yeah. You've heard that phrase, you know, an addictive personality. I think there's truth to that. But just for today's standpoint, because we don't have time to cover that, I just want to focus on addiction or abuse or dependency that's really as a method of pain avoidance, mm. right? Because that's what we're talking about here. Stress as pain. And if we're thinking about stressor as stress as a pressure or the process of being squeezed then pain is really when that pressure or that squeezing creates injury or yeah. creates damage right. sometimes that is emotional and physical but that's that's what we're talking about when we're talking about pain from stress yeah and often that pain is just too much for us to cope with so we cope through avoidance yeah and the method of avoidance is very different depending on what we use or what has worked for us in yeah. the past based on trying to avoid that pain. So sometimes it's numbing substances, like you mentioned earlier. Sometimes it's stimulating substances. Sometimes it's control. Yeah. Our relationships, our environments. And sometimes it's escapism. Just, I want to leave this world behind and just find something that makes me forget. Yeah. That's, that's the way that we often try to avoid that pain. And sometimes it's a combination of all of these things, really, right, right. in a variety of ways. And addiction is so sneaky and it's so real and it's so um, crippling to us that we have to get help. And I, I think for the sake of time today, we just want to touch on a couple of really common ways that people can get help for addiction. The first part is just acknowledging that there is a real problem. Yeah. But 12-step groups are very, very helpful. And there's a variety of them that are out there. You can do a lot of Google searches and find them locally. There's even some faith-based ones that are out mm. there too. Celebrate Recovery is a very common um, Christian-based program for recovery. You can do a zip code search on their website for yourself, or if someone's out of state and don't know where to get help for, you can send them to that website, Celebrate Recovery, and find a zip code uh, of, a, of a place nearby. There's also inpatient programs. Sometimes the addiction is changed just biologically that it's either unsafe mm. to just stop, or it's something that has such a grip on us that we don't know where to start. So right. we need to check into an inpatient program where there's medical supervision and therapists and treatment that can help. But I think starting with a therapist or a counselor also who specializes in addiction or in recovery is really helpful because yeah. if we could just stop, we would. Right. That's the nature of addiction says we need more help than we can do ourselves. Right. And it's really, really hard. So I want to go back to focusing on addiction as a form of pain avoidance or just as a way of avoiding difficult or painful emotions. And there's a really important question that I want to ask, which is this. What are my emotions trying to tell me about me? Mm. Because we do this every single day and we don't often recognize this. The pain of hunger 
drives us to eat. Yeah. It compels us to eat three meals or snacks or whatever. We listen to that pain. Right. The pain of going outside in the cold on our skin compels us to zip up our coat or put on gloves or just to go back inside. We stop and we listen to that pain. But we don't stop and listen to emotional pain. Right. When it comes to that pain, we're saying, I don't like it. It's too much. It's bad. And I don't know how to deal with it. So today, I want to start talking about like changing our relationship with pain. And I want you to begin envisioning pain as like a dashboard in your car. When we experience a painful emotion, when we experience any emotion, really, it's trying to alert our attention that something is going on. Right. But when we're talking specifically about pain, it's say, hey, something's not working correctly. And if I can just listen to it and pay attention to it, it's going to indicate that maybe there's some help that I need. Maybe yeah. there's something going on. But when I avoid that pain, I miss out on the way God wired us and try to alert us to that something is needing attention. Right, 100%. So important. So the way that we meet God in our deepest struggles is going beneath the surface by lifting the hood of the car and going under that hood emotionally for us and saying like, what is happening here? And growing, allowing God to grow our lives through self-awareness. And, and this just requires us to pay more attention yeah. to our feelings. So we're going to put some... Uh, content in the digital bulletin. It's going to explain some of the values of that each emotion has. Yeah. But I want you to continue to think about changing your relationship with your feelings and specifically with the, the painful emotions that yeah. we often feel. So there's a tool that I've used for years. It's called the feelings wheel. And before I go into that tool, because we're going we're gonna to flush out in depth, I want to share a story of where this tool has really helped in my life with coping with stress. So I want to go back to the year 2015. It's January. Prior to January of 2015, uh, my wife had just lost her mom and it was just, it's such a painful season of grief. And we had just been married for like 18 months at this period of time. Mm. And it's so hard to watch somebody that you love going with grief and knowing that there's nothing that you can do about it. It's a, it's a different version of stress yeah. because it's not, it's a different version of grief too, because you're going through a loss of your, the partner as you knew them. They're not the same person. And so coping with that stress is very different from grieving the direct loss of a loved one because they're still here, but they're not right. the same. And it creates a lot of loneliness, a lot of unmet needs. It's really hard to, to, to cope with. So fast forwarding then a couple months later, my mom died suddenly that November. Now I'm grieving. My wife is grieving. And our family's just, we were just a mess. Yeah. We were struggling so yeah. deeply. <clears throat> now in the midst of that, my wife's thyroid started to swell up and and it became very visibly noticeable. So we went to the doctors and the doctors did tests and they said, the tests are inconclusive. Like, what does that mean? They said, well, it might mean nothing or it might be cancerous. And under normal circumstances, I could have heard what that doctor said accurately, yeah. but because of all the stress that I had been under and that my family had been under, I couldn't hear that phrase. What I heard was my wife has cancer yeah. and it consumed me with so much anger and so much rage that I couldn't function at that point. And at that point, I was left with a choice. I either avoid these feelings. I numb them. I distract from them. I turn away from them and do whatever it is takes to get rid of these feelings or to avoid them. Or I confront them with curiosity. I go, what are these feelings trying to tell me? Because I knew I was just in too much pain yeah. to handle it at that point. So I did what any good person does. I went away on a silence and solitude retreat. And I brought a friend with me. <laughs> I brought a machete. Now, before all of you shut off this video and wonder what's about to happen, I promise you, I have gotten permission from Alex to pull out a machete, and uh, it's a very clinical tool. I can't necessarily recommend it or sign off on it, but for me, I brought this with me, one, because I thought it would be cool to bring a machete with me on a spiritual retreat. 
I'm sorry, guys. This is who was asked to speak. I, I, I just have to apologize. But the other thing I did was I, I, I feel like I connect with God with fire. And so because this was January of 2015, it's a snowy, cold day. And I thought maybe I'd need to like cut some brush down or something sure, to do yeah. that. At least that was my excuse. Yeah, that was the justification. For, yeah, that's my justification, yeah, yeah. right? So I'll go ahead and put this away now. Um, so I went for a walk. And I remember just like this this feeling of numbness inside of me because I just couldn't function. It was crippling inside. And everything was just stuck. I was trying to pray. I was trying to read my Bible. I was trying to journal and just nothing was coming out. And so I remember going for this walk and I happened to have my machete with me. And I'm going around this campground, this beautiful property. And I look over and there's a snowman over there. And then I just stop and I look down at my machete. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> and I look again at the snowman and I pull the machete from its sheath. And I went above my head and I just sliced down as hard as I could through this entire snowman. And I went... Wow, that felt good. Yeah. And so I did it again. And then I did it again. And I did it again and again. But eventually what started to happen was like this rage that I had been carrying around for months started to pour out. And I was screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs. And this screaming started to morph as I'm chopping this poor innocent snowman down. It began to morph into sorrow mm. and sadness mm. and pain. And I am just sobbing and sobbing as I pour myself out. And I fell into the snow and I was just crying my eyes out in the frozen ground. And that was the release that I needed. And so I went back inside and I began to journal. I began to read. I began to pray. And all of a sudden I started getting clarity about like, what am I feeling? And I pull out this tool called the feelings wheel. Because it's going to help you put specific names to the feelings. Because sometimes I can go like, I'm angry or I'm sad. But this tool is going to allow us to be more specific with that emotional pain. So for me, this was a real life example. I looked at this feelings wheel and you can see the purple section there. I was angry, but I was mad. And going deeper, I was furious. I was consumed with rage because I began to realize, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I was so angry. But as I started looking over this wheel and I began to journal more and more, I actually realized there was another emotion behind that anger because anger is a secondary emotion. And one of the feelings that often triggers or creates anger is fear. Mm. I was so afraid. More specifically, I was scared. And if you go deeper into that, that fear section, the blue section there, I was helpless. Mm. I could not control anything. And I was scared to death that I was going to lose another person. And I did not want to have that. And I realized as I'm journaling over this weekend, there was this deep core narrative. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the importance of recognizing and rejecting bad narratives. But I was believing one. And the narrative that was causing all of this anger and all of this fear was that God was causing these things to happen in my life so that I could be better at my job. Because at that time, I was working at a grief support organization. Mm -hmm. And people kept saying, like, oh, you're here for a reason. And I was believing this narrative that he was causing things to happen so I could be better at my freaking job or better in ministry because of this. And it was at that moment I realized, wow, this is a lie. And I began to just pray through that. And what ended up happening was I started embracing gratitude and going, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what my future looks like. But in this moment, I can learn how to cherish every moment. Whether I have six months with my wife or if I have 50 years, I don't know and I don't have any control over that. But I do know that God loves me and he's here with me. So when we came home, we did get the test back after the surgery that it was benign and that she didn't have cancer. But that taught me such a powerful lesson in that moment that I had to learn how to cherish every moment and I had to listen to what my feelings are telling me and be willing to create the space to explore those. Mm. 
So here's what I want to do. I want to slow things down for a minute. And there's a couple of steps that we can take to just get in touch. So as we have this feelings wheel on the on the air, on the board, and and as you you can pull it up in your digital bulletin later on if you want to. But I just want to ask you, what are you feeling? What are you noticing? And I think there's a five-step process that we can go to begin to connect with those feelings. So the first one is this, pause. We have to pause. Sometimes that means pausing our busy schedule. Sometimes that means pausing our emotions themselves. One of the ways that we can pause our emotions is through something called box breathing. We are gonna put a link to that in the digital bulletin to help you practice that, or that's where a therapist can really help you with that technique. After we have paused, we have to be specific. We have to name that feeling. In my case, it was anger and, and fear and helplessness. What is it that you're feeling right now? And if that's hard to name it, or if you're looking at this feelings wheel and it's too much, where do you feel it in your body? What are the symptoms? Is it heaviness in your chest? Is it a lump in your throat? Is it clenched fists? Recognize the biological symptoms out of that feeling, and that can start to help you connect the dots with what the emotion is connected to those physical things. The third one is just to understand it. Why do I feel this way? What situations in my life, what stress in my life has led me to feeling this? And how do I act when I feel this way? The fourth one we've been alluding to quite a few times today, we have to then express it. We have to find some form of coping skill or some activity that's gonna help move that emotion from the inside of us to the outside of us. We have to get that feeling out and express it in a healthy way. And then the fifth one is releasing it. What are the thoughts or the beliefs? What's the narrative that's leading to this feeling? And am I willing to release that and redirect that to begin the process of healing, to let go of that stress and experience peace and calm? And sometimes this involves really difficult processes like forgiveness, mm. forgiving other people, forgiving ourselves mm -hmm. even. This is so important though. What is that feeling telling you and how can that allow you to begin to heal from stress? And thanks for sharing all that information, Rick. And, and I just fully attest to that. Earlier, we talked about Psalm 139, and it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. The power of recognizing, naming, understanding, expressing, releasing our emotions, that is how we search our hearts with God. Yeah. And I can attest to the power of that process in my own life. Now, as we come to our last section today, I just want to touch on the idea a little bit of self-care. Self-care is a popular phrase in our culture right now, and the idea of it is really to try to answer the question, how do I cope with stress well, mm -hmm. right? But really what ends up happening in this kind of self-care craze is we name selfish or self-destructive even behaviors as self-care and go, well, it was just self-care. Yeah, I spent $700 at the mall, but it was self-care. <laughs> yeah, I ignored my kids all yep. day, but it was self-care. You know, like whatever the thing is. However, as Christians, the goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus. We are all made in God's image, but we are being moved to being remade in God's likeness. So in everything we do, be it coping with a mental health issue, with a life stressor, with cultural issues, the question is always, how do I become more like Jesus in and through this? That's always the question. In every area of our lives, we want to meet God and allow him to lead us into flourishing. I've personally had many seasons of my life, some positive, some negative, all with pressure and stress, where I've said to myself, I cannot remain the same and move forward with Jesus. The coping skills I have are good, but the level of stress had increased 
and they were no longer sufficient. Some of these seasons, like I said, have been negative. I think of uh, 2018 to 2020, Life Church Livonia fell apart and dropped from 350 people to 30 people by July of 2020. One of my siblings was in a deep personal struggle that was mm. painful and new to navigating in our family. I lost my last living grandparent. And then in Amber's family, a bunch of hidden things came out that caused her family to explode. People moved to different parts of the country. And Amber and I were left alone to deal with the aftermath. In that season, I didn't take up a destructive coping me mechanism, but the coping skills and information I had was simply insufficient for me to move forward, especially in a way that would make me look like Jesus. I could think of a lot of ways that didn't make me look like Jesus. Thank you for your Yeah. <laughs> so to help me get some new understanding and tools, I went to see a counselor for about nine months, and that was incredibly beneficial. And through that process, I was able to get some new skills. A recent season that's been stressful, but a positive stress, has been the birth of our daughter, Sophia. Yeah. Children are a wonderful blessing. Yes. They're an incredible gift. Yes. And they're a metric ton of work. Yes. <laughs> you know, one of the rhythms of mine that is most impacted most severely by Sophie is the Sabbath. The Sabbath had always been a time where I got to do things I wanted and rest in the ways I wanted, but now with a baby that was no longer possible. And the Sabbath was a day driven by her needs, not mine. So I took a day of silence and solitude and really just tried to figure out you know, what was going on and, and what could I do because I was ending every week tired and then beginning the next week tired. And so on this um, silence and solitude retreat, I, I was speaking to the Lord and got the idea of trying to start my Sabbath on Sunday night instead of Monday morning so that after Sophie went to bed, I kind of had a natural time where I could begin to stop and to rest. And that's been a much better experience for me. Amber and I also realized we just were simply not getting enough time to enjoy our marriage. And so we had a weekly date, but Sophie was now on it with us every week. So we realized we needed to set aside another night every single week that after she went to bed, we're just focused on trying to ask each other emotional questions, even though we're tired and really connect emotionally. One of the other things that's changed, we have renegotiated our morning schedule probably four or five times in this first year and a half. But the goal is always the same. Amber wants to make sure every morning she gets time with Jesus. And I want to make sure I get time with Jesus and that I have time to exercise. And so we've split the morning up and caring for Sophie in a lot of different ways, but all with that goal in mind. Every season is different. And the needs we have in order to follow Jesus well change. And we need to change in order to accommodate those things. But one of the key things to understand uh, when we're talking about coping is that there's short-term coping, like in an emergency situation, right? I'm having a panic attack. I need a coping skill right now. Someone sends me a text on accident and it seems like they're mad at me. I'm mind reading. I need something right now. I'm triggered by an event and I need a positive coping skill right now. These are good. These are necessary. But the goal of these is to lead us to healing. And when we only develop these skills, we end up kind of living reactively from one state of emergency to the next. And it, if you can imagine your soul as kind of a bank account, when we're living reactively, either the normal pressures and stress of life or the current pressures and stresses mm -hmm. of life, even if they're abnormal, are continually sending us into the negatives in that bank account yeah. every day. And life is constantly withdrawing more than we have. I've been there. Part of moving from coping to healing is that I pause and determine what and how I need to invest in my own soul on a regular basis to have the emotional, mental, and spiritual margin so I have enough in the bank account to take care of both myself 
and the responsibilities of my life, like my family, so that I can become more like Jesus. This leads to the idea of the rule of life as self-care. So what is a rule of life? Simply put, it's a, a list of values and rhythms that give my life direction and structure. This can be as simple as a word for the year. Some people, like, for example, may choose grace, and then that word kind of guides all their interactions that year. If you attend church regularly, that's a rule of life. If you exercise three days a week as a rhythm, that's a rule of life. If you end every night on the couch with a show and a snack, that's a rule of life. We all have mm -hmm. one. Most of us just aren't conscious of it. And like we talked about earlier, we've never evaluated it to go, is this working? Is this actually making me more like Jesus? Is this sufficient for my fulfillment? Like we just haven't evaluated it, right? So what I wanna do as we end this whole series is to give you a format I use for my personal rule of life to figure out what I need in each season and how I'm gonna do it. I actually reevaluate my rule probably every three to four months, not because I'm super spiritual, but because that's when something stops working. <laughs> and, yep. I, and I go like, oh no, I'm feeling depleted in this area. Mm -hmm. I better figure out what's going on and what rhythm I need to introduce. So my rule is based on the first and second greatest commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So if I want to follow Jesus, which means loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, which means loving my neighbor as myself, um, it means that I'm going to th critically think through those categories, right? So when I reevaluate my rule, I simply look at those categories, heart, mind, soul, strength, which would be your body, right? And then relationships. And I kind of look through each category and I ask the question, man, what's one or, or two things I think I might need to add in this season in order to follow Jesus well? Like I mentioned in previous seasons, one of the ones in my heart one was, um, uh, actually this is the current one, is spending more time with Amber, just having another set aside time. So that's both in the heart and relationships. It takes care of her, but I also need it for me, right? One of the ones in the, uh, also in my heart section and my mind section was seeing a counselor in a previous season. Um, and this is not about legalism. It's not about performance. It's yeah. just literally what is helpful for me right now. What are the needs I have? And what are the things I need to introduce to follow Jesus well in this season? One of the ones in my mind one for a while, like I said, was seeing a counselor. For a long time, it was learning around certain topics. One of the ones right now I'm trying to incorporate and haven't incorporated yet is I hope to be able to read more consistently on a daily basis. I'd love to read 20 pages a day. I spend a lot of time in front of screens for work and even for making music, which is my hobby. It's in front of a computer a lot of the time. And so I wanna do something not in front of a computer. Um, in the soul section, maybe you might wanna add a spiritual discipline. And there's a list of those in the digital bulletin. If you don't have a, a current regular time with Jesus, you may wanna download our Devo card and, uh, and begin doing that. Uh, in the strength section, for many years, I just tried to add one more day of working out per year because <laughs> I would work out kind of two days a week on my own and three days a week I felt shame and kind of overwhelmed. So for a whole year, I just went, I'm just going to try to work out one more day a week. And then the next year, I'm just going to try to work out one more day a week. And eventually, you know, four years later, five days a week, didn't feel intimidating, didn't feel shameful. You know, the point of it is just to be slow. It's to be gentle. And the last thing I do, kind of once I have my list of, okay, if I could do these things in this season, I think I would feel more fulfilled and more full and less drained all the time. Then I flip it over and I take a look at the back that has the days of the week. And I go, okay, if I want to spend more time with Amber because I feel like we're disconnected in our marriage, what day of the week am I going to do that? Hmm. And so I pick a day, I communicate that with Amber, 
And then we try it for a couple of weeks. And if it doesn't work, we go, oh, I guess it's not working. Let's pick a different day. Yeah. You know, who cares? If I want to work out three days a week, which three days? You know, if I want to spend time with Jesus, am I going to do that in the morning or the afternoon or the evening? And then lastly, you'll notice it says fall, winter, spring, summer. Sometimes there are things I do think I need, but I know I can't introduce them all at once. So I go, well, let me just work on one in the fall. Let me just try one or two in the winter, you know, and to introduce these things slowly. The goal is not to be the super Christian. The goal is to try to follow Jesus where I'm at within my limits and to try to structure my life in such a way that I'm investing in the bank account of my own mm -hmm. soul yeah. uh, and, and have the, the capacity to do the things God's asking me to do. This is a great tool. Yeah. I love it. This is awesome. I'm glad that you're sharing it with everybody. Yeah. This is what I do for me and it's worked really well. Um, so in summary, life is hard, guys. It's full of pressures and those pressures can lead us to God or away from him. All of us are tasked with learning how to cope in ways that allow us to follow God into healing. Medication can be a helpful tool in that mm -hmm. process, but it's not the only tool. You don't have to be afraid to use it. You don't have to be afraid not to use it. If you're stuck in addiction, I want you to know you're not alone. Yeah. Many folks here at church have walked through addiction and we want to walk alongside you. You don't need to hide in shame. A first step you can begin taking, whether you're in addiction or not, is simply to begin naming and expressing your emotions. And lastly, true self-care that allows us to cope in the way of Jesus is not just reactive, but it's proactive. When we make a rule of life where we invest in our own soul, it allows us to navigate the pressures of life in a way that help us follow God into life and life in all its fullness. Well, friends, I hope you have enjoyed this series. We have really enjoyed making it and mm -hmm. enjoyed teaching Absolutely. it. And as we close today, uh, we're going to close by coping with communion, by taking some time to pause, express our emotions to God, and then to allow, uh, uh, allow ourselves to receive God's sacrifice on the cross for us. But before we do that, I want to come back to the key scripture of this series. We called this series with all my mind because Jesus' greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we close, I just wonder how you would describe your love for God. Would you describe it as non-existent? Is it that you believe but you wish your relationship with Him was better? Is it a love you would describe as central to your life and richly fulfilling? However you would describe your love for God, I know how He would describe His love for you. He loves you with all his heart. He loves you with all his mind. He loves you with all his soul. And he loves you with all his strength. In fact, he loves you as he loves himself. And we know that because Jesus came down as God incarnate from heaven to earth. The eternal king took on time. The limitless one took on human limits and frailty. The powerful creator was born of a woman and nursed by her. Jesus came from heaven to earth because our sins separated us from God. And so he lived a perfect life in this imperfect world so that he could die on the cross for those sins, removing the barrier between us and the God who made us. And he rose from the dead to offer us a resurrected life that is no longer defined by sin, that is no longer defined by brokenness, but is defined by his love for us. And it is this resurrected life that Jesus says it is life and life in all its fullness. God loves you. He gave himself up for you so that you might know his love back. If you've been feeling God move in your heart this morning, maybe a pang of conviction, maybe a longing for more, maybe a deeper curiosity, that's the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is inviting you to pray with me now into a deeper place of surrender. So would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I just pray that you would meet me in my very center. Meet me in my emotions. Meet me, Lord, right now in the present. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me for the ways in which I've done life on my own and the ways in which I've coped on my own and the ways, Lord, in which I've coped that have separated me from you and broken my relationships with others. And God, I just ask that you would lead me into this life and life in all its fullness. I just surrender to you now in a fresh way and I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me anew and lead me into everlasting life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Join us next week for our annual meeting. I look forward to seeing you there.